Yeah, I'm Kenny. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Kenny. I never think about what I'm going to speak about if, if, I, if I'm asked to speak. I never plan anything because it's just, all I can do is come in and tell you what I was like and then what happened and, and you know, what life is like for me now. And I find if I if I try to plan what I'm going to tell you guys, then it's going to come out all wrong. It, it just never works. Uh, I remember being at the West Valley Fellowship and listening to Craig, Craig T. Nelson, a guy who played coach. He come out there, and he might have been reading a script, you know. And, and he was one of the most boring speakers I ever heard. And uh, and we were talking earlier about dynamic speakers, and, and most dynamic speakers are the ones that actually share their lives with you. And that's that's what I try to do. I you know I love coming out here on the desert. I was raised out on the desert, but on a higher desert in the mountains out there south of Tucson, the little range called the Sierritas. And uh, when I was two, my dad moved us out on a 60-acre plot of land out there, out in the middle of nowhere, basically, and and started a little ranch. And uh, we were 17 miles from pavement and 20 miles from school. So we would, we would ride down... 17 miles and take a bus three miles to school and uh, spend a lot of time at the bus stop because you know the old man had to work in town you know and then so anyway I had a large family I had five big brothers and one little sister and mostly what I can tell you about that is it's it's a pretty much same old AA story I was different I was different from everybody that I ever met. I, I, I mean, other than, than my sister and a brother or two, uh, I never could relate to anybody's experience in life. You know, I had friends, and I, and I wasn't a loner and outcast so much, but I just never really fit in anywhere. And it didn't help, you know, you come to school with cow crap on your boots, you know. And uh, it wasn't easy being the only kid in the third grade with boots, you know. Uh, and we were wild. We were wild rednecks from the ranch up, you know, in the mountains. And uh, on the other hand, our school was really small, and I got a really good education. Uh, it was almost like a private school. There was only... When I started that school in the first grade, there was 58 students. And when I left in the eighth grade, there was 108. The area was growing. You know, but, uh, but anyway, uh, all of my brothers started leaving home when they were teenagers. Once, they, once they'd start going to high school and they discovered pot and, and how to get booze, they left. And... Uh, so I was the last one by the time we moved, and then we moved to a farming community out southern Arizona, and things didn't get any better. I was a really good student up until the time we moved, and, you know, uh, quite frankly, I felt homeless ever since. You know, we left our ranch and went to a little farm because that's where my grandparents lived, down in Cochise County, and, you know, and I moved into a... 
You know, I come from being top dog in the eighth grade. I was, you know, the president of the student body, and everybody knew me, and I knew everybody in the school to going down somewhere where, you know, I was not in the pecking order at all, and I just kind of quit going to school and learned to find alcohol and reefer, you know, and... And that's and then I just drifted and I drifted for a long time and never, never had much ambition. Never had, really wanted anything out of life. I remember my dad asking me when I was young, said, "What are you going to do when you grow up?" I said, oh, "I'll probably just drive a truck." And he got mad at me. And I don't remember if it hit me or not, but he he got really pissed off. And that was the extent of my uh, ambition. You know, I was going to drive a truck because the truck goes from here and it gets out of here. You know, and and that's that's what I always what I wanted to do was get the hell out of here, and and that's what I did. And and uh, you know, I left home. My my first uh, expedition when I was 16, I hitchhiked to Alabama. That was where my mother was from. We spend vacations down there. My cousins were cool. They knew how to get reefer and booze and. So I hitchhiked to Alabama. I got in trouble, uh, come back, and, and and I just drifted. You know, I, I eventually got a driver's license and learned how to drive trucks. And, and when I had a job, that's what I did. And when I didn't have a job, I went from here and there and uh, did day labor, and I went from city to city. and. And uh, I just drifted because I never really felt I belonged here and I never really felt that I was going to last. Um, I remember when I was about 13, we were talking with some friends and, and we were talking how long did we think we were going to be alive. I thought 35. That to me, all my life, I was, I was pretty much convinced that I was going to die at 35. And... Uh, and so I was born in 60, and so I thought I would never see the new millennium. It shocked the hell out of me when I did, you know, the year 2000. You know, and uh, so so I just drifted around, and, you know, I, I, I had a whole lot of different jobs. I did everything from, you know, shoveling crap on the ranch to dealing cards in a casino. I did all kinds of things, and... and uh, but the one thing that was a constant in my life is I always drank as much as I could whenever I could. And uh, that, that was, after a while, that became the only thing. Uh, now, somewhere in the, in, the, uh, in the course of my life, when I, when I got kicked out of Alabama, and uh, my dad had sobered up, so he come and got me as a way of a man's. You know, he was starting an AA program, and he thought if he could come and get me and, and do something nice for me, well, that would be his amends to me. And so he come and broke me out of jail and out. Well, he didn't break me out. He talked to the judge and let me go. But uh, he come back, and uh, he asked me to go to some AA meetings for, with him. I was 17. And uh, I did. I went to the Maryvale group down there. They had just moved to the valley here, and... So I went to the meetings over there in Maryville, and one thing I always remember about those meetings is I really liked those people. You know, they were all old people, you know, like I am now, and, you know, and, uh, and but 
I liked them. They, they were nice to me. And, and they were easy to talk to, and they, they were just really decent people. And so that's what I've always thought of when I thought of Alcoholics Anonymous. Unfortunately, it wasn't for me. Well, fast forward, I was about 25, and I was driving truck out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I, and I met this gal, and she was running with me kind of illegally, and we were just partying all the time, just having a good time, and, and uh, so we, so we decided to settle down. I come home, and I got me a job building bridges with the old man, and, and she took off and left. And I had a throat infection and an impacted wisdom tooth on top of it, and I was really miserable, so I decided to go to AA. And uh, so I went to Down Under Group down here in Albany, and they were meeting in the old folks, um, what, what, rec center down on 4th Street down there. And I, one thing I remember about them people is they were good people. They took me in, they helped me out. Uh, you know, they, they, I mean, kindness has always been what I think of when I think of AA. They've always been kind to me. AA people have always been kind to me. And uh, I last about five months. Yeah, I got a new girlfriend. Dennis fixed my tooth, pulled my tooth, got my throat infection cleared up. I had a job again. I was cured. We had these tables just like this. There was a room just like this on there and there. And I remember old Lee Torrey. He was my boss and my brother's sponsor. You know, we're doing we're doing a book study. I was I was like the first week of the book study. It's still in operation today. All these years later. But uh, it was on a first step. And I started reading. I, I, I closed the book and I said, I don't think this is me. I don't think I belong here. And I remember Lee standing up and he pounded that table. He says, well, I suggest you get your ass back out there and do some more research. Mm-hmm. So I did. I asked him years later. I was driving truck and he was living in Texas. And I, and I called him and he come and got me. I asked him, I, we were, he took me to a meeting and everything and put me up for the night. And we were sitting there talking. I said, you ever feel guilty about telling me to go to no research? He looked at me like I was crazy. Why would I feel guilty? <laughs> That's what the book tells us, ain't it? Well, but, uh, but yeah, see, that's, that's... When I left there, I hung on for a while, and I was able to work for a while, and I was able to go back to traveling and... And, and bouncing around, you know. I had a good job in Vegas, and then that petered out, and I wound up in Reno, and then Idaho, and Utah, and Salt Lake, and all these other places, and and uh, Wendover, Nevada, that's where I was dealing cards and tending bar, and, you know, and it was, it was fun sometimes, but mostly it wasn't, because what would happen is I would have this job, and I'd start drinking more and more and more, Pretty soon I didn't have a job, didn't have any money. And running out of money saved my ass. Because if I had never run out of money, I'd have never quit drinking. And what happened was that dang Wendover, when I was 10, and I'd, I had uh, dealt cards for a long time, and then I was 10 in bar. And as long as I showed up, they didn't fire me. And I kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And finally, I moved over into Salt Lake to, just to get away from drinking. 
and, and I detoxed myself in a motel room, and I would never recommend that to anybody because it was the only delirium tremens I ever really had over alcohol, and it was really nasty. But, you know, I got through it, and then as soon as I got to feeling better, I went back to drinking, you know. And then, and then that went on for several years, and one morning I was thinking about the Down Under group and how this lady in there, she's a nice, older, elegant lady, and she, she'd always say, well, I uh, didn't think I was an alcoholic because the alcoholics are them guys under the bridges, you know. And I looked up that morning and that bridge was on top of me. And I had about that much of that damn ginger brandy. Oh, God, nasty-ass stuff, but it was only like $4 a bottle, so, you know, and... I don't, I can't go on like this anymore. I just can't. And I, I thought, well, here I am under the bridge. Not only must I be an alcoholic, I'm like the prototype. <laughs> I'm a classic example. And I was, too. And so I, I wandered over to the mission and got into detox. And I wish I could tell you I never drank again, but it it was almost too late. It took me, took me another five years or two years until I I got back to Arizona and then another five years after that to get the sobriety date I've got now. I I come back to Arizona 20 years ago and I've only got coming up on 14 years of uh, sobriety. It, it took a while. It took a while. You know, um, And I think I really tried. I don't think that I took this program lightly. It's just that I really could not understand what you guys were trying to tell me. I thought I could, though. See, that was the problem. You know, I could read the book. I could recite it back to you. And I always did well in meetings because I could just kind of repeat something that I heard in a, in a book. And people would pat me on the back and say, hey, you got your stuff together. You're doing really well. You'll make it. You're all right. And nobody ever took the time to explain to me and uh, until Tacy, I don't know how many of you guys know Tacy, but you know Tacy's real sweet lady now, which you know isn't always. <laughs> uh, but uh, her and my brothers, my brothers were. When I first got back to Down Under, I had I had uh, two brothers and a sister-in-law, and my sister. Well, actually, I had three brothers, but Mike he come and went. My sister-in-law was in there, and my who was to become my brother-in-law was in there, and I mean, it was like a family meeting, you know. But I could relate to their, you know, so it really didn't bother me much, but I never really shared myself much at all. And uh, and I never was honest, but I didn't know I wasn't honest. I ne- you know, Tacy would tell me, you need to get honest with yourself. And I'd get mad at her, you know, because I thought I was being honest. You know, and so I had uh, I had relapsed when I left Utah, and uh, after I'd sobered up over there, and after a year, and then when I got come back to Arizona the first time, I got almost two years. It was two weeks shy of two years, and then uh, I relapsed again after I come back the third time after three years. So I'd got one, two, and three, and. Uh, and now my mother had died about three months before my last relapse. 
and everybody thought that maybe I'd went off the deep end because of that, and it was nothing could have been further from the truth. You know, that's what brought me back is the fact that she died because I had had a spiritual experience the morning that she passed away that I was not able to comprehend and that I was unable to process. And uh, I was in a bad relationship, and we got into a fight one night, and I, I left. And, and uh, I always remember praying on the way to the liquor store. You know, in AA they give you a triangle, you know, and, it, and it's got, it's got uh, three sides to it, you know. And, and, and one side you give to God, and one side you give to your fellow man, and the other side you give to a program of recovery and and I wasn't in in balance. I was expecting God to do for me what I couldn't do for myself, or what I was unwilling to do for myself, which is get honest. And I and and I was starting to realize that I was not being honest with myself or other people, but I couldn't quite grasp it. I'm, I'm not trying to give myself an out here and saying it's okay to be a lying ass son of a gun, but. I really do believe that I was constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. And so I went out on another runner and I was out about five months and I was separated from that relationship and I was living in a little rent by the week trailer down in the 27th and Van Buren. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful country. And, uh, but uh it doesn't matter when all you do is drink, you know, you got a chair and a TV and a and a twelve pack, you're fine. Well, I come home from work one day and I wrap my hand around a beer and I didn't want it. And I and I never made a decision to stop drinking that last time. Never made a decision. You know, they say that God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And I still, after all these years, don't understand why he would let me go to the liquor store, but then he would take that that uh, need for that beer away from me later. Unless it was what I needed to learn in that period, and that's good with me, because what happened is I just gave up. I knew I was going to drink that beer eventually. I mean, I... Uh, I did clean out the refrigerator, went and give it to a homeless guy, you know. And uh, but uh, you ought to seen the look on his face. Really? It was, it was like it was like three remnants of twelve packs, probably a twelve pack in there, and a half a bottle of vodka. It was a jackpot. But uh, anyway, so I come back to Down Under, and and uh, because that's where my sponsor was, and that's where all my friends were. And you know what I did? I and and I. Mostly, though, I did the uh, the Sunday morning meeting over there at Raul and Teresa's because that's where I felt most comfortable. Those guys accepted me, and they just let me be. And, you know, it was a roundtable discussion. It'd come to me, and I'd say, I'm Kenny. I'm, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm just hanging on, and I would pass it on. And uh, didn't really say anything because it didn't, I, I didn't think I was going to stay. I mean, I had tried it one, two, and three years, and, and, and I thought I'd done my level best, and and it didn't work for me. And I loved you guys, and I wanted to be around you. You guys were my favorite people to be around, but it wasn't for me, and I wasn't an alcoholic. Or I was an alcoholic, but 
you know what they say it don't work for everybody well I think it probably does but you got to have have the right formula and what I what I suddenly what I started discovering is the formula was there in the book and but the difference was is it didn't work as long as I was adding stuff to it you know, and, and when I gave up, it was just what it was, and I was just able to let things be as they were. Then after a while, I started, uh, I was about four or five months sober, and my friend Steve Lou was beside me one day, and, he, and you know, and he wasn't one to talk in meetings, but he, he just kind of, really low, he says, how come you don't ever share anymore? You know? And uh, I says, because I relapsed. He said, that's all right, you've been back. And I, and I says, but I don't know any of this yet, and I don't think I'm going to make it, so you know, I don't want to mess anybody up. He said, tell them that. So that morning I told them that. I told that group of men, I told them that you know, I didn't think this thing was going to work for me, and I thought I was hopeless variety and everything. And uh, it, went, it went back around the room, and there was about three-quarters of the room behind me there, and not one of them preached at me. Not one of them told me what I had to do. But one, of, but every, but to a man, they thought that it would work for me if I gave myself to it. Every one of them thought that that I could make it if I if I give myself over to God. So it, it was about a year after a year of just kind of going to meetings and and just hanging with you guys. I got out of that bad relationship I was with and I was staying with my sponsor and and uh, and I overheard him on the phone one day and he said, he says he wants to stay sober and I believe him. And those words changed my life because somebody believed in me. I didn't believe in myself, but somebody believed in myself and he was my sponsor. And uh, so I got me a place, and I started listening to Joe and Charlie tapes. And one more, one night I was heading home from a meeting, and I was listening to Joe and Charlie, and it come to the second step. And it says, we're going to need a power greater than ourselves, obviously. How are we going to find this power? And it said, that's what this object of this book is about. Its object is to show you a higher power which will solve your problem. Then the other guy interrupted and he said, did you notice it didn't say that he was going to need your help to do it? <laughs> I went home and I took down the big book and I called in sick from work and the whole next day I sat there and I read that big book. And I read that big book knowing that I didn't need that big book to keep me sober. I needed that big book to help me find God. And so I went back to my sponsor. I said, let's start this fourth step crap again and I said, I've written some stuff down. I said, it isn't much, but this is what I'm dealing with. And he says, good enough. He said, let's start with the fifth step. So, so I went through the steps, and I found God. I found the God that you guys talked about, not the one that I thought I had heard in the Baptist church or the Catholic church or the Methodist church or on television or, and, you know, them countless hours of listening to... to uh, the preaching on the radio and everything. What I started hearing was the way you guys 
And now I tell people the only thing I really understand about God is that He keeps alcoholics sober if they do the AA program. So I did the AA program. And, you know, I started getting better. My life started getting better. And one day I woke up and it was actually worth living. And I had never been happy to be alive. I would never been one of these guys that, you know, thought that life was so great. You know, and and I looked up and I was well past my 35th birthday and I'm going, how in the hell did that happen? You know, and I might be stuck here a while, might as well make the best of it. So I started, you know, doing meetings and taking meetings and sponsoring people and doing the, doing the stuff. Uh, somewhere in the long line I had a failed relationship with, with the lady, but she uh, she got pregnant and gave me a beautiful son. You know, he's nine now. He's he's made my life complete as a person. Uh, I have been a good dad. I've supported him all his life. I've always been able to be there financially. Uh, and, of course, emotionally, it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life was be a father. I, I love kids. I always did. Uh, never wanted one of my own, you know. I mean, they just kind of, they're lovable, but they're kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> Actually, I always knew that I was irresponsible uh, and, and I was not capable. But when Riley come along, I had another one of those spiritual experiences. You know, uh, the, uh, the spiritual awakening has made the spiritual experiences uh, possible and understandable. I now understand what it was that morning when my mother died, what, what happened there. Uh, I won't go into that because it is deep. Well, it's deeply spiritual and, it, and it's a whole different kind of a thing and, and it's not easily expressed. And, and, uh, but when Riley come along, I had another one of those spiritual experiences and I continue to do so uh, on, at various times in my life. I feel a connection to the spiritual world strong enough to change the course of my my life. Uh, I uh, I haven't got much more ambition. I still drive a truck. I still uh, kind of go through the motions of life. I'm not real not real big on material things. Um, I'm more into experiences. I'm more into to, uh, to to enjoying the people around me and and, and that. And uh, I don't figure I'll ever get rich and famous or anything like that, but I'm living and I'm living successfully. And I'm doing things that I never thought I could do before. I bought an old double wide trailer it's in a park down there in in phoenix and um, i i bought it because i was able to just pay cash for it out, out of you know what i'd saved after working all these years since i've been sober and uh and i needed some security for riley and i needed that second home in case i had to take him away from his mother because she got married again and no longer acting like a grown-up but uh and anyway i uh it's older, so 
there was a lot of stuff I didn't like about it, so I started fixing it. And I've just gotten done with the kitchen and the dining room. And uh, I did some really neat work. It's a really, it's a really pretty, pretty area. And, and, and I never knew that I could do that. And it was from what I learned in here. It was do the next right thing, stay in the moment, you know, uh, you, you know, and all these things uh, do, and you know, and and don't take yourself so damn seriously. You know, um, I have a great home group. Uh, I, I my my meetings mostly on Friday nights when we go out to dinner after the meeting. I I love it. We bring our kids and uh, my uh, my my nine year old generally goes with me. Used to go with me every time. Every time I went, that's changed a little bit. Now he's with me just every other week. But uh, that's one of his favorite places to go is to an AA meeting. You know, we're going to a meeting one day, and he tells me, he says, I wish my mom and Paul, her husband, went to meetings too, Dad. You know, and I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, all of his friends are there. Uh, he just... He just loves the people. He, he loves the spirituality of it. You know, he comes up and he says the Lord's Prayer with us. You know, and and they love him. They've always taught, not only tolerate him, they just, they love him. You know, and it's a place where he feels secure. And, and, and they're my family. You know, they're, I mean, I've still got my other family. And, uh, my sister's in the program. Well, two of my brothers are still in the program, but my sister and I, we uh, talk a lot. My AA birthday is on her belly button birthday <laughs> because it was right about her birthday whenever I reached in there and grabbed that beer and didn't want it. I remember I had called her and I said, I've been sober a couple of days. And she said, have you been to meetings? I said, well, they don't work for me. She says, you know what, you need to go back then people really miss you. She said, they've been calling me, you know, wondering about you asking about you and so even though it's I don't remember the day I sobered up I use that as my anniversary because that's when I started to live again you know and uh, I have a really good life as a result of this program and I am deeply deeply grateful to the people in the rooms and and the higher power that they have shown me you know because uh, it uh it's better than anything I had before, better than anything I could have dreamed up by myself. So, Anyway, I'm just going to leave it right there. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you.